0: Good morning, everyone. Let me just take you all in. It's nice to be together this morning. You're a very good looking bunch, did you know that? (laughs) Just coffee. Let's um, ask the Lord's help as we come to His Word. We want to thank you, Lord. Thank you that all the truths in your word, wow, thank you for this treasure chest and I ask Lord that this nugget that we're looking at this morning that we would be able to just kind of roll it over in our hands and look at it and appreciate the beauty of it and um, yeah, absorb the glory of it and, and take it with us. In Jesus' name. Amen. So we're holding up and examining and looking at all these beautiful nuggets of gold in the treasure chest of God's word over these weeks. The promises of God. And last week we looked at from Isaiah that those who wait on the Lord will renew their strength. And this week, I thought that was fantastic, Di. What a great idea. We read it together. So here we go. I'll make sure my clicker's working. Ah, I'm glad the clicker's working because I forgot to tell you that Planted is coming up. If you're new or newish to church, we want you to come to Planted. And if you know someone who's new or newish, we'd like you to invite them to Planted. And if they don't want to go on their own, you can come with them. It's on the 4th and the 6th Of April. A Thursday night will be here, and the Saturday afternoon and evening will be out at David's Farm. And what we do is we talk with you about what's going on with the church, what we believe, what we do, where we're going, so that you can get your bearings as part of the family here. Sound alright? So if you would like more information or you know you'd like to be part of that, could you write it on your communication card? Or, don't shake your head at me, Marion. Marion and Rodney, could you just stand up for a sec, please? Just have a look at these wonderful people. And um, if you've got any interest in coming to Plant It or bringing someone to Plant please talk to Rodney and Marion and they'll point you in the right direction. Okay? Romans chapter 8. Verse 28, I'm focusing on verse 28. One of the things that my kids will tell you about me is that when we watch movies together, some things upset dad. I'm not really content just to watch and get sucked in to what the writer of the film is trying to do to me. I'm keeping a critical eye out, and especially for the sake of my kids, because The amount of screen time that um, all of us, especially our youth, are exposed to means that they are absorbing messages all the time. And the messages aren't, a lot of the time, they're actually not even true. But one of the things that I kind of get upset with is when in a movie you've got this looming danger or this catastrophic event and the parent in the movie says to the child, kind of looks the child in the face, As they're about to go off and deal with this disaster, and says, Don't worry, everything is going to be okay, I promise. I I find it so upsetting Um, because I'm a dad, and I remember my eldest, who's now 19, she wasn't always 19, and um, she was, I thought she was about four, I think, and I thought it's about time you learned how to ride a bike. So I researched, and I shopped around, and I bought this fantastic bike, which I would never spend that much money on a bike now. But my first child riding a bike, and it was way too big for her, and I started to teach her how to ride it. So here I am. I've got the back seat of the bike, and. Beth is kind of nervously but delightedly sitting on this beautiful bike with his tassels out the handlebars and off we go. And Dad trips over a gutter, rolls his ankle, falls in the ground and watches his daughter go off into the distance only to crash. Tears, injuries, you can picture the scene. And what my daughter discovered through painful experience, was that even though Dad would love to be the one to say everything will be all right, I promise, Dad actually doesn't have the power to make sure everything is all right, I promise. Um, He can't even promise that you're not going to hurt yourself while he's holding on to your bike. (laughs) I did see a recent movie that encouraged me called Alpha, and it's it's a coming-of-age movie about a young man who goes out to hunt with his father's tribe and it was a long and dangerous journey and some young men um, don't come back from this dangerous um, journey and this young man they're about to leave and the young man is hugging his mum and his mum has this worried look on her face and the dad comes over and says in effect, don't worry I'll bring him back Everything will be okay, I promise. And she says to him, You don't have the power to make that promise. And I thought, at last, a movie that actually <laughs> says that. And this is the case for us. Us as parents and and for all of us. None of us have the power to say to another person, even to ourselves, Look, I'm gonna make sure that everything is gonna be alright, I promise. And if I want to watch a movie and know that everything is going to turn out all right, then I'm not going to ask the characters in the in the movie, am I? I'm going to actually talk to the writer because it's the writer who determines whether... And in Hollywood, of course, everything does. And ironically, in this movie, everything did turn out all right. In the end, sorry to give that away if you're going to watch it. But who can promise us that everything is going to be okay? Well, there's only one person who can promise us that, and that's the one who was writing the story of history, who has all things in his hand, and that's God himself. And it sounds a little bit like that's what God is saying to us here in this scripture. We know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. It sounds a little bit like God is saying to us, it's going to be okay. I promise. But what does that mean? Let's take this verse, just a few thoughts at a time. We know. We know. What do we know? Actually, it's more like, not what we know, but it's more like who we know. Who we know. I'm going to try and help us understand this verse in the wider context of chapter 8. So we're going to be reading a few verses um, from other verses Verse 15, Romans 8. You have received the spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry, Abba, Father. The spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. If you believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, you put your trust in him, then God has given you his spirit. And God's spirit speaks to your spirit And assures you that you are a child of God. Now the child of Dale Skews cannot have any assurance that everything is going to be okay because they're a child of Dale Skews. But the child of God, now that's something else. Are you a child of God? The child of God. God is a good, good father. We sang about it this morning. He's the one who is in control. He is the Almighty. He is the everlasting one. He is the all-knowing one. If you're his child, do you think everything's going to be all right? Do you think he's going to look after you? Absolutely. Verse 31 says, If God is for us, who can be against us? So we know. We know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him. What are these all things? because you could go to some churches and hear a message that says something like this you are a child of the king and as a child of the king you have certain rights you have the right to a life of good health you have the right to a life of abundance financially you have the right to a life that is trouble free it's a prosperity teaching we don't teach that here and it's a very damaging and awful doctrine because it's actually not true. If you come to God with that assumption that he's now going to pave your road with rose petals and cushion it with mattresses you're going to be very disillusioned and disappointed and wonder what on earth went wrong. What are the all things that Paul is talking about that God is going to work through for our good? Let's have a look at some of the examples. Verse 16, sorry, verse 22. We know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. Just press on your Google News app. And just scroll down a few lines and you'll say, "What on earth is going on with this planet We know what's going on with this planet it's out of whack it's out of sync with God listen to what Isaiah says about the world in on which we live the earth is broken up isaiah twenty four nineteen The earth is split asunder. The earth is violently shaken. The earth reels like a drunkard. It sways like a hut in the wind. So heavy upon it is the guilt of its rebellion that it falls never to rise again. This is the world we live in. It's like we were travelling home from holidays once and there was a trailer in front of us and the wheel was shuddering violently. Its wheel bearings had given out, and eventually the wheel fell off and went off into the bush, and the trailer fell to the side, and the sparks flew out from the axle, which was now on the ground. This is a bit of a picture of our world. It is out of whack. It's just so out of whack, and this is where we live, and we are going to suffer. We all suffer consequences of that, and we could have story after story after story here this morning of how we suffer because we live in a world that is groaning until Christ comes and puts everything right. But thank God he has promised that in all these things, he is at work for the good of those who love him. Amen? So that's one of the all things. The other thing, verse 23, and not only the creation, but we ourselves, who have the first fruits of the Spirit, groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. And so there are things in me, desires that go through me, that if I were to say yes to them, they would destroy me. And so I am engaged in a constant fight against not just the struggles of the world around me, but the struggles of the desires that are in me, and so are you. But praise the Lord, in um, verse 1 of chapter 8, there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. So you're not condemned, you don't have to be ashamed of the ways in which you are tempted. But you can be thankful that in all these things, God is at work for the good of those who love him. Maybe there's some more things that Paul has in mind when he talks about all things. Verse 35. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? As it is written, for your sake we are being killed all the day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. Why is Paul using these examples? Because they could very well happen to the people he's talking to. Why do they need to be told that these things won't separate them from the love of Christ? Because they might go through them. In fact, Paul himself went through all those things. Did God love Paul? Did Paul trust in Jesus? Was Paul filled with the Spirit? Was Paul a man of faith? And yet look at at what all things meant for him. And yet he could say to the Christians at Rome, in all things, God is at work for the good of those who love him. I'm reading a book about an amazing lady called Susanna Wesley. You probably know her kids, not personally. John Wesley, who was the leader of the Methodist movement, and a wonderful reformer of the church and we've all been impacted by the influence of John Wesley such a powerful man of God man of faith, man of the word, man of love did so many wonderful things Charles Wesley, one, another one of her kids who wrote so many of the beautiful hymns that we know and love well their mum, Susanna knew something about the all things that Paul's talking about. Her house was burnt down twice. Insurance. don't think they had insurance in those days. It was burnt down two-thirds the first time. Fortunately, they kept their library and some other things. second time, it was burnt down completely. And they never really recovered economically from that tragedy. Where they lived... And served. Her husband was a pastor, and um, the people in his parish didn't like him very much, because he was one of the reasons was that um, he was a godly man, and he called them out on the things that they ought to repent of. But another reason was that he was loyal to the um, to the royal family, and there was that wasn't very popular in those days. Anyway, the income from being a pastor wasn't enough. For their family, and they depended on working the land around them in order to live. And so, the lovely people who Samuel and Susanna Wesley were trying to look after burnt their crops, burnt their barley crop, stabbed their cows so that they wouldn't give milk, bullied their children, took their front doors off their hinges. That's a novel one, isn't it? tried to saw the legs off their family dog. This is amazing, isn't it? And uh, I haven't got to the end of the story yet, so there's more to come, I'm sure, but the point I'm up to is where one of the uh, parishioners was um, so insistent that her husband level his debts with no grace period, so he was taken off to debtor's prison and uh, she had to try and manage things on her own. He had a great time ministering to the prisoners. I think she was the one who did it more tough than her. So did Susanna Wesley love Jesus? We know she did. Was she a woman of faith? Absolutely. And yet there were some all things that she had to endure. But God was at work. God promises to be at work for the good of those who love him. So I think our definition of what good means perhaps can be different to what God says to and promises to us is good. And so we need to make sure that our understanding of good lines up with his. What does good mean? <clears throat> First of all the good that you can be sure of if you love God in All the things that happen to you and around you and in you is that God is at work in you to make you like his son Jesus. Now if the spirit of God is in you then there's something in you that's going to say oh yes, yes. If I could have one thing it's to be more like Jesus. And this is the promise. Listen. Verse 29, for those God foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son, that he might be the firstborn among many brothers and sisters. This is what God is committed to doing in you, to make you like Jesus <coughs> as you trust in him. Listen to what James says, James chapter 1, verse 2. Consider it pure joy, my brothers, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith... Develops perseverance, perseverance must finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. This is the work that God wants to do in you. Now, God did a wonderful work in Susanna Wesley. In fact, John, as um, right up to the time when his mother passed away, this leader of leaders would constantly be going to his mum. What do you think, mum? What should I do here, mum? What are your thoughts about this? Because of the maturity that God had worked in her, she was able to give guidance to her son. Don't you think that's good? What about King David? Do you remember when David was on the run from Saul? Now, David was the rightful king. God had already said that. David, I've rejected Saul as king, David is now the king, but David was not recognised as king, and in fact Saul was chasing him around the countryside trying to kill him. Is that fair? Is that good? Is that the kind of thing you would expect God to let happen to people who love him? Well, listen to what came of it. It says, this is when David was hiding and running all who were in distress or in debt or discontented gathered around him and he became their commander. Good. Very good. Do you think God is able to take the things that we go through and bring them around for good? He really is. And I look at some of the things, some of the very, very unfair things that have happened to me. You know, I've suffered You know, a dot compared with most people. But some of the things that I've suffered, I look now in hindsight and I think, thank you, Lord. Thank you for what you have worked in my heart. Not only for my good, but also for the good of others. So let's trust him that he is at work to do that. And not only that, but even beyond that, listen... That he might be the firstborn among many brothers and sisters. And those he predestined, he also called. Those he called, he also justified. Those he justified, he also glorified. What's the trajectory of our life if we love and trust the Lord? I actually misled you before when I said that this sounds a bit like everything is going to be okay. It's actually not really true that God is saying here everything is going to be okay. What God is saying here is everything is going to be so much more than okay. The word is glory. Glory. Listen to this promise. Verse 18, actually, of Romans 8. I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory. That is to be revealed to us. Glory. Now, what we suffer here is just a very, very short, small time. For those who love and trust Jesus, our hope is glory. I love this verse. 1 John 3, 2. Dear friends, now we are children of God and what we will be has not yet been made known. But we know that when he appears, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. God is going to give us a glorious new body in a glorious new world to enjoy his glory forever. Wow. Is that good? That's good. I think good is a very conservative word for what God has in store, for what he's working for those who love him. You don't just find cliches in movies, though you find plenty of them, but you do find cliches just out in public conversation. And one of the cliches that um, really disheartens me is everything happens for a reason. When people go through hard times, well everything happens for a reason. How does that help? (laughs) Everything happens for a reason, of course. If I don't put oil in my car, the engine will blow up. It happened for a reason. But this, of course, that's not what's being meant. What's being meant is that somehow the universe is going to make sure that everything is okay for everyone, regardless. Is that what God is promising here? God's actually not promising that everything will be okay for everyone. He's promising it to those who love him, and who have been called by him. Once again, let's look at what's happening in chapter 8. Chapter 8, verse 13, Paul says, If you live according to the flesh, you will die. If you live according to the flesh, you will die. That's not good. So for some people... All things are not going to work for good. For some people, it's going to be very bad. For those who live according to the flesh. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. For all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. And so we have a choice as we look at this promise together. Are we amongst those who love God or are we amongst those who love sin? There's a very, very clear choice. Love God or love sin. If you love sin, you will die. If you love God, you turn from sin, put your trust in Jesus, then you will live. And no matter what happens to you, around you, all things work together for good for those who love God. Let's pray. Thank you, Jesus, for embracing your cross for my good. Thank you. Help us now, Lord, to embrace a life of taking up our cross as we look to you and you work all things for good. Father, I thank you that your spirit lives in us, assuring us we belong to you. Father, I pray for those who are on the fence this morning, who are undecided, Am I living for God or am I living for sin? Lord, would you just sound a great strong note of warning in their heart that they would respond to your call and give themselves completely to you. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.